Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. This one is with Denver Bitcoin on Twitter. Adam Orford, who works for Upstream Data, a company that is helping the oil and gas companies around the world harness their wasted or stranded energy and turn that into Bitcoin, a whole new revenue stream for the companies involved. And of course, at the same time, removing their waste and their byproducts and the toxic gases from the air. So this literally is a case of Bitcoin is cleaning the air. It is not bad for the environment, ladies and gentlemen, as we get into. That's Lauren's first question and Adam answers it perfectly. And we get into way more other subjects. So stick around and I hope you enjoy this one. Before we do get into the interview, please make sure you check out the show sponsors. First of all, make sure you're stacking some sats. Don't stop stacking this is a long-term thing you can use coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten and download their app start their auto buys you'll save on commission you'll get 10,000 free sats by using that uh, link and start your stacking journey and with relay in europe you can use relai.ch forward slash bitten start stacking get your euros or swiss into some satoshis in america across the pond swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten have you covered that will get you a free ten dollars to start your stacking journey or add to your existing stack but please take control of your coins use the bitbox o2 hardware wallet by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten that will save you five percent of any purchase in your cart and it is the absolute best way for you to start taking control of your keys enjoy this rip with adam all right, we are recording. We're with Denver Bitcoin, Adam O. How are you doing, mate? This one has been in the wings for a very, very long time. Finally, finally, we get to do it. Finally, yeah, I was going to say this was, I mean, I can't even remember when we started talking. I think maybe at least, what, seven months, maybe? Um, maybe, was it 2020 that we started talking? Uh, I don't know. Um, it like, might have uh, been. You showed up in like the um, the Danish toxic happy hour kind of chat thing. Oh, that's and, right. So however long you've been in there, we've been kind of dealing and trying to set something up. Yeah, exactly. No, um, yeah, I'm glad to get together. You know, it's and we've we had so many scheduled times to connect that ended up getting blown up by, you know, one thing or another. So cool that we actually got here on a on a fine Saturday morning, at least at least here in the US, here in Colorado. Um, what time is it where you're at again? We are in the uh, the middle of the afternoon over here. So, oh, and awesome. I, you know, right. these things happen for a reason. Uh, think of all the shit that's happened since the first time we were going to set this up. Uh, we've got plenty more things to talk about now than we would have had back then. So things are moving oh, quickly. That, that's, that's a factor. I was going to grab my drink real quick. No, that's an absolute fact. And I think, I think uh, there's absolutely no shortage of excitement, no shortage of opportunity, no shortage of misinformation, right? It's just the whole entire thing's kind of intensifying. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, Lauren, do you want to fire away with the first question and then we can get uh, talking about what you want to ask? 
Yeah, yeah. So, is Bitcoin bad for the environment? <laughs> See, I remember that question. one, Daddy. I remember that. One. <laughs> that's that's it's a great question. Um, no, it's not bad for the environment. I think Bitcoin's a really good thing for the environment. Yeah. And do you, do you understand? I was trying to trying to explain to you a little bit why, but this is. I know. Uh, I understand. Yeah. Okay. Well, Adam works for a company that. Um, Mine's Bitcoin. Well, why don't we? Why don't we ask Adam? <laughs> he he can tell us for who he works <laughs> for and how he helps clean the air. Yeah, Lauren, I'll, I'll, I think I can explain it. So I work for a company where we started off by mining Bitcoin um, off of natural gas that oil and gas producers couldn't use or couldn't sell, right? Sometimes here in the US um, and all over the world, there, there are oil wells that are producing a good amount of oil for a profit, but they're also producing natural gas and they don't have any pipeline. They have no way to sell this natural gas to bring it into your home, right? And so because they don't have any way to sell it, they just burn it. They just light it on fire. Um, and they light it on fire really because it's better to burn it than it is to just let it go into the atmosphere than to let it just go into the air. And so that waste is something that has just has happened for a long time for since the beginning of oil and gas. And with Bitcoin now, we can actually come in and consume that, that flare, that waste and make use of it. And so I think there's a significant environmental impact, you know, from that. Um, but, you know, our company started off that way. Upstream data started off by doing that. And now pr pretty much what we do exclusively is we work with oil and gas producers and we build them the equipment so that they can go do this themselves, right? So that they can learn how to use Bitcoin, right? And they're learning how to use Bitcoin pretty quick. So you can take all of the waste gases, they don't go into the atmosphere, you redirect them through like a generator, a turbine engine, we'll get into this in a minute. And that powers the computers, mm -hmm. which looks for the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so now that company, instead of having a toxic waste product, could potentially have a new, completely new revenue stream in the, the, the most pristine collateral, the world's best asset and the hardest in, money the world has ever known. In maybe 100 years, yeah. Bitcoin might run the world. Oh, less than 100. Oh, yeah. Way less, less than 100. Than 100. Yeah. Way less. Yeah. <laughs> Any uh, further questions? Um, no. <laughs> okay. Well, do you want to say good, uh, good day? Have a uh, nice yeah. day? <laughs> Have a nice day or evening or morning. And yeah. Bye. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Lauren. You guys have a great weekend. Yeah. Yeah. such a long time thank you uh thank th <laughs> thanks for answering those questions and let yeah so let's for those listeners that uh, that are tuning in that, that don't know about upstream data and um anything about the company should we just give them a quick kind of uh getting up to speed how the company was formed why it was formed and then you know how you come to be involved in it yeah, I mean, I think I think obviously my boss and the founder of Upstream Data, Steve Barber, could could do a lot more justice to to you know maybe the founding and history of the company than I could. You know, from what I from what I know and from what I've experienced, um, you know, Steve started tinkering with mining Bitcoin in the oil field. Um, I think early 2016, maybe maybe even a little bit earlier than that um, himself, like just be, as an engineer, somebody I think he found Bitcoin personally um, around you know that time. And then being 
you know, a heavy oil and gas engineer being somebody that for the last decade has has helped oil and gas producers maximize their hydrocarbon revenue, maximize their production and optimize their their well portfolio. Um, you know, he saw the value that Bitcoin brought to the oil field and specifically to those to those who had venter or flare gas. And so um, in 2017 is when upstream data officially launched from, uh, you know, from like a, a founded kind of a point of view um, where we were where we were officially like marketing and selling products. Um, I got involved in early 2018, mid 2018 uh, is when I reached out to to Steve. I actually just shot him a cold email, you know, saying, hey, I think what you're doing is is the future. I think it's going to revolutionize upstream oil and gas production. Any chance we could have a phone call? And he was he was open enough, and I guess he wasn't bombarded enough with, with you know, emails like that, um, that he responded and he got on the phone with me. And you know, I knew within thirty minutes of talking to him that, like, this was what I wanted to do. This is what I was going to focus my time on, and I had to penetrate and get some exposure to this to this kind of emergence, right? This emergence of this more or less archaic kind of oil and gas industry, and this new, you know. Sub- somewhat seemingly high-tech, sophisticated, proof-of-work consensus, you know, monetary network, um, this decentralized new money, like the fact that these two harmonize and, and marry with such synergy um, was something I just couldn't get out of my head. I just was uh, obsessed would be, would be a fair term, I think. Um, and so after speaking with Steve, I was only just more obsessed because it became real, right? Because it was like, oh shit, so this, is, this isn't just my my knack can math and my, you know, off the wall hypothesis that I dreamt up, you know, in my cubicle, this is, this is something that, you know, a truly experienced petroleum engineer in Alberta has been building for, and he thinks is viable enough to like start a company and begin offering products. And so it became very real to me at that point. Um, and that's when I wanted to get involved upstream as an employee, and I begged Steve to hire me uh, right out the gate. He he couldn't afford me, right? I mean, it had been stupid for him to hire me. He was he was too small, and that would have been just capital risk, right? Um, but I I at least got myself in a position where I could become a customer, right? So I, I did a deal with them where I could, you know, I purchased a Bitcoin mine from him, and we you know brokered a deal, found some gas where I could effectively buy stranded or, or vent gas um, from a producer for very cheap. And so currently, you know, I'm mining Bitcoin in the oil field. I've got a Bitcoin mine that's out in the oil field. It's not a massive operation by any means, um, but it's, you know, it's great passive Bitcoin income. And, you know, we're, we're incredibly profitable uh, considering our scale, especially. And so I, I know that this is the future. I've proven this concept. I've, I know the trade-offs making these decisions from the customer's point of view. Um, I have a a very fluent understanding of, of upstream oil and gas day-to-day operations and production. Um, and or at least, you know, in terms of the, the investment and accounting side of what, you know, production accounting and management looks like. And, and I have a great understanding of what mining Bitcoin looks like. And so I just happened to fall ass backwards into this, this position where I was one of the only few people on earth that was very well versed in upstream oil and gas, wasted gas um, and Bitcoin mining. And what, all of the details of both of those look like. And so I became just out of my own curiosity and passion. All of a sudden I kind of ended up in this position, you know, you could say halfway through 2020, beginning of this year, where all of a sudden my expertise is like in high demand and people are really interested in how Bitcoin incorporates into the oil field. And all of a sudden it's becoming sexy and it's a lot more profitable. Um, and, and, you know, then it was like, it made sense, you know, for, for me to, 
to join upstream officially, right? I, I had been doing my own consulting and pushing Steve customers for a year and a half or something at that point. And finally I called him up and was like, Hey man, so how do I, how do I like actually monetize all these customers I'm sending you? Like, how do I, you know, can I join the team? And he was like, yeah, I've been meaning to bring you on. Like a lot of people that have been coming through have said that they met with you um, before, you know, doing deals with us. And so it's just that, like, it's just that I, I started yelling at the clouds, right. And, and telling and like just screaming at the world at how great upstream was and why oil and gas producers should, should deal with them. And inevitably a couple of people started listening and then inevitably they, you know, upstream wanted me to join the team. And now everyone's rushing to the door saying, Hey, teach me. Right. Man, that's great. That's so awesome to, uh, and you look like a pretty young dude. Uh, how old are you? And if you don't want to dox yourself, that's yeah, fine. I'm, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm 29. So I'm, I'm still so relatively young. That's crazy, man. What were you doing before? What 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 career were you in before you found Upstream? That's funny. You know, I, I think I think I mentioned this on um, on the Bitcoin Matrix podcast, maybe, but I I really haven't talked much about this in the Bitcoin space at all. But my my passion before I found honestly, my passion before I found oil and gas was, and this was before I found Bitcoin at all, right? Um, was I wanted to go into mobile gaming, right? So I really I really liked the I mean, and by the way, I'm still interested in mobile gaming. I think that there's a, it's a really cool industry and an insanely, and a market that's growing at an insane pace, right? Um, plus the intricate ways in which you can, you can, you know, combine creativity and enter, entertainment with monetization. Like, I think that that's fun and challenging. And I mean, look at the guys that created Boom Beach and Candy Crush, like, I mean, freaking Clash of Clans. I mean, they're, they're revenueing up over a billion dollars a year on one game and they're selling ones and zeros, right? They're selling digital tokens in a game. Um, like from a business point of view, I can't help but, but you know, kind of be inspired by, by that, right? Um, and, and there's an, and like I, I've always been somebody that I think, you know, video games are much like, traveling or going to the movies right it's just a, it's a form of entertainment or golfing right like some people want a country club membership some people want to play games like you know what i mean um and so like i, I think that it's natural for the, the gaming industry to to grow in the in the coming years because those of you know the millennial the, the, the gen x gen z's as we become adults we still kind of game right like even though we grew up like we're the ones that grew up with games but now that we're adults like we haven't stopped playing games and so it's just like the the market capacity or market opportunity for people who play video games only grows every year, right? It's like, so I think like that was something I was really excited about. And I tried to penetrate that space. I went to Northern California. I did my, my freaking damnedest, man. I tried so hard to penetrate that industry in, in a meaningful way at a meaningful company. And I just, I fell fucking short. I just fell on my face. I fell short, right? Just period, bottom line. I, I didn't get hired. I got a lot of interviews, you know, a lot of second, third stage interviews with the, with, you know, EA sports or um, what is it? Yeah, I guess it's EA is, is the, is the video game company. Um, what was it? Supercell, like these other great video, these other great mobile developers that I like, absolutely would love to to have worked with and none of them wanted to hire me none of them thought i was i was worth a salary so so i moved back from northern california to colorado and did what i i knew i could generate money doing um while i looked for kind of my next opportunity you know i still kind of wanted to maybe penetrate the space 
but I needed to make, I needed to earn some more income. So I came back here. I managed a couple of retail stores, a couple of retail shipping stores, um, something I was proficient at and, you know, it paid pretty well. Um, and I was working one of those shipping stores when a customer came in to, to get a bunch of copies printed and he ended up being the, a partner in a oil and gas software company me like a month later uh, to to be his like director of marketing and sales for the software company um, and travel around to oil and gas shows and try to sell his software. And so like it happened really I, again, when I say I fell ass backwards into kind of the oil and gas industry, I fell ass backwards into how Bitcoin, you know, harmonizes. I truly did. Like it wasn't, you know, that being said, like a lot of things in my life I can see now have, have kind of led me to this, right? I've kind of prepared me for the, the situation I'm in. One, the most specific being you know, that oil and gas job, I was selling software to oil and gas producers, um, specifically production accounting software. And so for those who don't know, like that's the least sexy thing ever. <laughs> and yes. like, it's the hardest. Yeah, it's like the fucking worst job um, you could have because you're, you're trying to sell software in an industry where the typically the decision makers are pretty tech phobic. Like they're not super, they don't get real inspired by the idea of everything being in their pocket, um, or at least not many of them do. And then I'd say, you know, not to generalize everybody in the oil and gas industry or the upstream oil side of the oil and gas industry, but, you know, they're, I'd say that they're slow to change, um, maybe a little intellectually stubborn, right? I mean, some of the absolute smartest people on earth, no doubt. Um, but, you know, they're, they hear something about like, like, like a Bitcoin and I mean, it's, or anything technology like that. And then that's like, I mean, they're just, they're more deaf than the average, the average person almost, it seems. Um, and so just trying to sell them software was like pulling teeth and really this software, the, the value it had added to them, to their operation. I mean, it was measurable and it was okay, but like, it wasn't, it didn't make them more oil, right? It didn't, it didn't increase their, their natural gas production or their hydrocarbon revenue. It, it prevented accounting problems, right? And so like, I was selling them something to prevent problems rather than cause solutions, right? Um, and it, that's, so that's just, it just was hard. And, it, and here's the thing. I was pretty successful at selling the software. Like I did well, we grew, I think by like 30% my first year there, um, in terms of our clientele, like I, I was, I was able to sell this. So then I, I look back at that now and now I'm, you know, dealing with oil and gas producers and I'm trying to sell them the idea of mining Bitcoin, right? I'm trying to sell them that, Hey, listen, you can do this. Like one, this isn't beyond your expertise. It's really not that hard to do, but two, it's in your best interest to learn the little kind of nuances of how to operate an oil and gas well, because trust me, you will be financially rewarded to the teeth. And um, man, that's a much easier to be in. It's a much easier side of the table than like, here's an accounting software, you know? So like, I, I mean, I feel like, I feel like the weight is taken off the bat. I mean, it's, it's certainly my job. I love it. Um, I get to build Bitcoin projects and tell guys why this new technology was damn near like designed for them, right? I mean, seemingly this was designed to help upstream oil and gas producers. Like it's, it's a beautiful technology for them. And so, you know, it's talk about, talk about like, you know, not even knowing that this, this grit I was going through of trying to sell software was going to prepare me for selling something way cooler. Right. And, th and that was part of it too, is I could kind of see the writing on the wall when I was in my software job, I could see this oil. I could see what Bitcoin mining was going to do to the industry. And I was sitting there like, man, I want to be selling that. Like, I don't want to sell software. Like, I want to talk to guys about that because that's exciting. Um, and so I, it was inevitable that I was going to move this way anyway. Like, I just, I couldn't help myself. 
And that's when you can be truly effective, right? In your job, when when you're selling something you truly believe in, uh, you know, sales oh, yeah. sales is easy if you're selling something with a smile on your face because you believe in it, and you know, it's everything's a story. But if you're like, if you're just hacking through trying to sell accounting software, something you couldn't give a fuck about, that's where the that's you know that's where the first barrier is. You know, you got to you know get exactly. through all that molasses and get your ass out of bed and go and do that other conference and network and shake people's hands. And you don't know if you're talking to the right guy. You know, you know, there's always somebody two or three levels above the person you're talking to that's going to have the ultimate sign off. It's a drag. But if you're it's selling, and, no, and, and it's and it's kind of soul sucking because you end up yep. like doing targeted advertising and all this kind of schemey stuff just to get in front of people, and it sucks. Yeah, there's always like the like the cold reach out on LinkedIn or something like that. That's oh uh, yeah, <laughs> no, and then that's the thing too. Like like with Bitcoin, man. When I when I when the message I put together when I sent him a cold message on LinkedIn, I have like a 100% response rate. With Bitcoin. I mean, like 100% cold call. I mean, it's unheard of in sales world because that's how exciting this is. And like, it's, and that's how hot of a topic this is in oil and gas right now is I like, honestly, I, for me to go cold call is, is almost troublesome because I have so much, we have so much inbound interest. Like I can hardly handle that. Right. Yeah, man. That's great. So what, what were you doing at college then? What was like, so you come out of college, you're thinking mobile gaming, this is where it's at, you know, the, you know, try and get into that field what was going yes, on in college in a, just a bunch of mobile gaming and partying <laughs> yeah right exactly right um i mean for for, for some sake of the of the discussion sure um the other half of college i guess was international marketing and economics was what i was what i studied you know I'd, i would have majored more severely in economics but my school didn't offer it at the time um so i pretty much did like every kind of economics course that they had and and you know, I became really fluent in how flawed Keynesian economics is. Um, the Keynesian model is just bullshit. But um, I only, I mean, I only understood that by being tested on the Keynesian model year after year, right? And like an understanding how they're pulling these levers and and calculating, you know, the velocity of money so that they can they can see what kind of a an expansion, you know, expansion kind of an impact or a contracting impact they're going to have on the on the economy. I mean, it's just all big fucking scam. Um, it's all just a, just a way to justify printing money. And I, I identified that really quickly. And so like, I already had this kind of base understanding of macroeconomics, global economics, that there was significant flaws. And I knew that the game was rigged. And in order to get wealthy, you had to play the game. Um, and I hated that always, right? As much as anybody, I hated the idea that, that this, the economy wasn't a meritocracy, right? That the dollar wasn't a, a unit of account for a meritocracy, um, because if it was, then we would see a lot different distribution of dollars. And, you know, that, that was something that like, just was founded in my core, right? Like I just, there was no, nobody was convincing me otherwise that the Keynesian model worked because I had studied it so closely and I had, and I had, you know, I played with it. I played with econometric models. I had done it where you see a, an, you know, an economic shock coming. And so you, you know, change the interest rates so that this changes so that this changes and then you know you try to counter the shock and like i mean i've ran through those models and it's all just it's all just really fancy you know nose snubbing math is what it is um and so i i'd say that that kind of prepped me for bitcoin um in terms of prep to be open-minded to bitcoin but like i mean i thought bitcoin was a scam like 
truly I did. Like when I went to investigate how Bitcoin mining worked, I, I approached it from the perspective of like, can't like interested to figure out how this scam worked. Like, you know, like, I wonder how these guys pulled this one, you know, like this is just another, you know, freaking scam that pops up in a economy that's as fucked up as this one is. And when I learned about mining, when I just, when I just learned about the thermodynamic law aspect, right, just how you can't break thermodynamic law when creating computational work. Um, and so generating computational hashes, right? And so when I figured that out, I was like, oh, well, shit, nobody can pull the strings then. Like, I guess the only way you can pull the strings is by having a more efficient computer. But even then you're limited. Your efficiency is limited and you still have to bring energy to the table. And energy was something I understood well. And I understood there's no free lunch when it comes to producing energy. Um, and no matter what the solar and wind people try to tell you about how it's all this harnessing this free energy, it's shit ain't free. I mean, and we don't have a supply problem of energy. We have a utilization and distribution problem when it comes to energy. And so, yes, like it's all about economically utilizing and distributing power, and distributing energy. And energy is really not consumed, right? It's only converted. It's only put into a different form, right? It's not, it's not lost or destroyed. And so, you know, I think I was weirdly primed to kind of at least understand how Bitcoin would be so disruptive because it was, I mean, it was within moments of, kind of digesting that thought of how you can't you can't exploit this bitcoin mining game without trying without exploiting thermodynamic law right and as far as we understand it nobody can do that yet no matter how powerful you are so like like within moments i was like holy fucking shit what is this bitcoin thing like i have to figure out like now i have to figure out all like where do i buy some because i gotta get i gotta get involved in this because this is an energy market this is an autonomous competitive energy market like how the, the oil and gas industry should be leading the way in this this technology um and then i went and ran the numbers right and then i realized like oh my god they absolutely should be leading the way in this technology this is they're gonna love this and then i just you know pretty much got laughed at because it was just too early it was just we needed we needed a bitcoin to break that twenty thousand dollar all-time high we needed to see a fifty thousand us dollar bitcoin price because that changes people's minds it changes people's hearts um and when they go to bed at night they think yeah, you know, fuck it. Like, I'm probably going to die in the next 60 years anyway. I mean, we might as well take a bet on this Bitcoin thing. What if it's real? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's truly what happens is they're like, shit, it's a 50 grand. Like, hey, maybe it's worth worth the bet. Like, what's the downside? And they reconsider. Yeah, that's, it's so true. And I, I had uh, Bruce Pullman on recently, um, an ex-quant uh, trader in, in the UK, and he was talking about this phenomenon in um, kind of like a hedge fund world where like the chief investment officer will have a target price, but like paradoxically, the target price is way higher than the actual price is right now, because they're not going to be comfortable investing one to 5% of their portfolio until it reaches that trigger mm -hmm. point. That's when the big money starts coming in and companies mm -hmm. like the oil and gas companies, um, you know, they, they have, they have treasury desks there, people watching this and they have consultants as well. Uh, at one point, the narrative is going to shift. And then they're going to come running. And this is where we're going to, you know, really start heading to the moon and the plebs and are I think, going to be dancing on Twitter. We're at that point. Okay. That point. Is we're there. Like, I'm going to tell when, when are we going to air this episode? Oh, as soon as possible within uh, maybe tomorrow or Monday. Okay. I was going to say this tomorrow Monday because the article's dropping today from CNBC, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm quoted in I'm quoted in it a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, where, yeah, where, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to have a cool title. I'm hopeful it's going to have a sweet title where it's something like, 
why Houston, Texas is becoming the Bitcoin mining capital of the world or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we all got interviewed. Like, I think, I mean, I got interviewed. I I know Marty did. Um, A bunch of people got interviewed down in Houston and Dallas. Um, The Houston meetup last week. And for those, you know, watching, I guess it would be the Houston meetup end of August. It was like August 25th or 6th, I think. Um, So that was was right, right before BitBlock boom? Right before BitBlock boom. Yeah. Like literally... the day the, before, the Wednesday before it was the meetup, uh, the Unchained run. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um, yeah, Parker Lewis, and then they started that like five months ago. There was like 175 people in there, or at this meetup, at the fifth. I think it was this was like the fifth or sixth meetup, um, which is pretty crazy growth if you think about it. And it was at a really cool venue, which kind of set like a serious kind of tone in the air. Um, but then it was just it was a really serious presentation and conversation around how Bitcoin is, you know, becoming relevant to oil and gas producers. And I told the oil and gas producers in that room, I, I told them very starkly with as much seriousness in my, my tone of voice as I have now, I, I just said to them, like, simply, I was like, listen, it's this simple. Technology has afforded us a reality today where anyone can sell electricity over the internet without a counterparty meaning you can sell electricity and nobody's actually buying that electricity from you. It was pre-programmed 12 years ago to reward you for that electricity you gave it today, right? That's the killer app of the Bitcoin network. And if, and if we're in that reality today, what that means is for the first time in history, we have a secondary energy consumption market, right? For all the way up until Bitcoin, the only place we could sell electricity was to human beings in populaces via the grid, right? Or via direct transmission, like literally piping natural gas into their home and then having a meter on it and charging them per cubic foot of gas you give them, right? Um, but until then, you know, up, up until Bitcoin, that was it. That was the only place you could sell electricity, hydrocarbons, whatever it may be, hydroelectric power, doesn't matter. Now we have this secondary market, right? This other place to sell Bitcoin. And it's, it's immune to geography. Meaning as long as you have an internet connection, which is quite achievable most places on earth today, you can sell this, this energy, right? You can sell this power. And if that's the reality we're living in, as an energy producer, I think it's fair to say you ought to take a serious look at this new energy consumption market, this new place to sell energy, because your proficiency with, with this new market is likely gonna determine you know, your, your com- ability to compete and your efficiency going forward as an energy producer. I mean, it's like shit, like be like if I, I mean, honestly, it'd be like if I was a scrap metal producer and all of a sudden there was a new, a new place to go, you know, yeah, dump there's scrap a ship, metal a ship, a ship building yeah. yard you know opens up exactly down the road and, and you and don't like, go and, and investigate just, yeah. yeah and i'm just like you know what ships aren't ships are a scam <laughs> right like that's it's like well you know what ships might be a scam okay but like doesn't mean that you shouldn't go check out what it looks like to participate in this in this market right um and then maybe decide if ships are a scam later like because the bottom line is it doesn't matter like you should you should go deal with this and then i and, you know and i mentioned to them in that in that meeting i said listen like a 15 year old kid can wake up today, you know, September 3rd, 2021, and he can sell, he or she can sell a gigawatt of power without calling anybody, asking anybody's permission, signing any paperwork, anything, 
They, that, that person would literally, that 15 year old would literally need to make it, maybe need an email address and they would need a Bitcoin address and nobody can stop them from selling a gigawatt of power. I mean, that is an incredible disruptive innovation. Um, and I think the message was really heard in Houston because I had, I, I mean, the reception I got after that, after that panel was, was great. It was incredible. Like I have, I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, from the, from the, the one, literally that was one day in Houston. Like I'm literally sitting here like with like just 60 business cards of people that were there. Right. That all came up. Like we produce oil and gas. We have gas. We can't bring to market. We'd love to talk further with you and learn how we can use like leverage the Bitcoin network. We hear, yeah, we think this is serious. We'd like to know now. Right. And it's like, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Like I expected you to almost balk at me. Like the fact that you're, you're open to that. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk. Like, let's get on a call. Um, and then, you know, you, I end up answering all, they, they, they come loaded with, with questions, you know, a bunch of gotcha questions, questions as to why Bitcoin won't work or why this is temporary or why this isn't going to scale those kinds of things. And, you know, the good news is, is that all I have to do is be honest with them. I just, I get to answer their questions honestly and as transparently as, you know, I, I, I am always, which is like, listen, one, this is nascent and new. So like, there's a lot of unknown here, sure. But, you know, we do have at least some amount of data and we know these things to be true. One being you have nowhere else to sell this gas. And two, we, we know the, the cost, the actual economic risk to get you participating in selling your gas to Bitcoin. So we, we can actually measure it. We can say, hey, look, your total risk is, you know, $130,000 minus maybe the engine that you bought because the engine that you bought in order to mine Bitcoin, you could you could sell that. It's I mean, even if Bitcoin goes to zero, that engine's still good. And so like like when you you break it down for them and that and you're like, hey, listen. So day one, bottom line, maximum risk you're taking is eighty three thousand dollars, and you're going to be making you know this much on the day on a daily basis. Like so, this is your risk portfolio over time, right? And hopefully by this day, you'll have effectively mitigated all your risk, right? You've gotten your bait back. You've, you've gotten your return on investment. And when you when you show it to them like that, it becomes very real. It's not this magic internet money with, you know, crypto drug lords or something like it just becomes a very basic, you know, economic transaction they're operating in. It's like, oh yeah, we, we'd love to like, duh, we're going to use this technology. Like, like, you know, it just becomes very basic. It's just like, oh, it's, it's like a pipeline that way. Like, and then, you know, they ask questions like, wait, so hold on. Like, do I have to buy these computers every week? And it's like, no, like, you know, we're, we, we'll teach you, we'll hold your hand. We're going to teach you what a mining pool is. We're going to configure your stuff. Um, but you'll figure all that out too on your own. Trust me, because the second you start making money from this thing, you're going to start wanting to learn everything there is to learn about it because you're going to see how valuable it is for you to understand it too, for you to not just take my word for it. And like, you, you know, like the, the killer one for me is you, you can take a toxic byproduct and turn that into Bitcoin. You, you have a completely new revenue, a completely new revenue stream. And I'm sure a lot of these companies, they probably have to offset their carbon, don't they? And probably uh, sell or buy carbon credits and, and, you know, enter into that bullshit market. Now they can step back and away from that as well. Well, yeah. And I mean, some of them are even leveraging it, right? Like we've got customers, I've got some customers in California that, you know, they're going to be earning carbon credits to mine Bitcoin right? because they've gone above. Oh yeah. So they've because flipped, they've gone, they've flipped their, they've flipped their stance on the market just by doing that. It's by literally, it's, it's so a, now, it, yeah, it's, it, 
it's a speculative attack in a way on ESG, but at the same time, it's also a subsidization of mining. It's also a subsidization of mining Bitcoin though. So I, I, it's give and take a little bit because, you know, I get a little, I get a little uneasy at the idea of, of, you know, tax dollars getting funneled to Bitcoin miners because that can bastardize incentives pretty quick. Um, But I, like me personally, I would, I, I have a really hard time ethically participating in, in the ESG nonsense, right? Like, because here's the thing, even if you're just like taking advantage of the carbon credits, right? So say in any way, shape or form, even if you don't really buy into the fact that you're saving the planet, like truly that's why you're getting these subsidies is because you're virtuously saving all of our lives. Um, it's not very long and, you know, it's probably, it's probably within the first couple of checks that you get, the first couple of carbon credits that you get before you start, you know, parading yourself or whatever company you're running around as somebody saving the earth, right? It'll become part of every piece of marketing documentation mm-hmm. that you guys have. Your, your website will be all about how you're green and renewable and perfect and not dirty and saving the oceans. And there'll probably be like a very nice pristine waterfall in the background. Um, and it'll all be very nice. Um, but like you end up becoming a part of the, a part of the, the shit coin, right? A part of the, the nonsense. Um, and that's truly what carbon credits are is they're just, they're a fake currency. They're just another, they're a virtue currency, um, not a virtual, but like a, a virtue <laughs> currency. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that it's hard for me to participate personally, but I have no problem recommending to my customers, you know, that, that they optimize their operation, do the best, you know, what's in the best interest of their shareholders, their stakeholders, and take advantage of any opportunities where if they're mitigating their flare by mining Bitcoin, yeah, a lot of the times they're, they're absolutely um, in a position where they can receive carbon credits and, and like really press their monetary advantage there. I mean, like they're, they're, I mean, I know some guys, they're absolutely rolling in it. I mean, they're, yeah, they're crushing it right now. And the government's helping them, right? I mean, it's just, it's a big, it's a big game. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's definitely a weird one, and it's ESG. For for those people that are listening, just um, explain that acronym and how like this oh, yeah. rise of this kind of because we never used to call it this. It would would just call no, no, it no, climate you're change. Right. It, like what the so fuck? This... Yeah, you it, know, it's so funny. The whole climate change narrative has really evolved. Like if, if you look at it, it's got like this really long history, right? It started with like like global. I think it was, honestly it was global cooling, like in the seventies or some shit, mm-hmm. and then it went to global warming, and then it just became climate change. And then ESG only popped up, I want to say like in the last 18, 24 months. And what that acronym stands for is environmental social governance. And a great example of ESG is this. It's really, ESG is like a whole bunch of banks and investment funds and stuff got together and they're like, hey, we're only going to invest our money in virtuous green, you know, companies that are making sure to recycle their stuff and not waste things. Right. So it's like it's a way for that. Like we're going to be we're going to socially govern where money goes rather than having the government come in and say, hey, you know, only investment dollars can go toward green stuff. As the people with the money, we're just we're going to set the rules and say, hey, unless you're a green company, you can't like you don't even fall within the criteria to be investable by our fund. Right. So it was a way for them to to be, you know, create a, a moat around a certain really around where investment dollars go. Um, and then. Another example of ESG would be this is really, really the kind of like where this bleeds to is what, what ends up happening is this. Like I've spoken, I spoke with an oil and gas producer a couple of weeks ago here in, here in Denver, great guy, exploration and production company. And what he wants to do is he wants to go out and he wants to drill wells. He wants to explore for oil and natural gas. Um, but in order to do that, he needs money, right? He needs somebody to, to give him money to go do this and hope for a return. 
Um, well, he's got the experience to know how he's got the history of, you know, going out and drilling wells for a profit. And, you know, hey, if you give this guy a hundred grand, like usually you're rolling in it by year two, you, year two, year three, you know, like this guy knows what he's doing. And so like, that's what these oil men do, right? That's how oil and gas production happens in the United States is somebody's, somebody's out there going, hey, I think I can go drill a well for less than I can get out of it. And somebody goes, here's a bunch of money to go do it. And so these guys, I mean, I was, I was speaking with him and, and he was he was telling me, he was like, listen, the thing I really like about this mining Bitcoin on, on the waste gas um, side of things, like the, the thing I really like about this technological innovation is not necessarily the revenue stream that I'm going to be getting. It's not necessarily the fact that regulators are, you know, on my back right now and, and penalizing me for my waste. That's not my issue right now. My issue is I can't get any money from investors because we're the oil and gas industry and we're dirty. And so we're the dirtiest industry around. Nobody wants to invest in us. So in, in order to be at, you know, in order to have a company that gets any investment dollars in the oil and gas industry, you have to be the sexiest, most ESG friendly oil and gas company because you have to be the sexiest, cleanest part of this dirty industry. And so he's like, I really like the Bitcoin mining thing because if I go tell these guys that with any gas that we're going to you know, produce that we can't, we can't bring to market, we're going to make sure to mine Bitcoin with it and earn some extra dollars rather than flare it into the environment. And we're going to mitigate our emissions. He's like, these investors are going to get all hot and heavy and they're going to throw money at me. And I was like, oh, he's like, so he doesn't really even give a shit about the economics, right? He's sitting there like, this is just a way to bypass this nonsense story. I have to tell people with money. Um, and like, it just shows you how it, it's, it takes, it takes honest actors and it gives them an option to behave dishonestly in a marketplace, right? I mean, like, that's what government does is when they when they influence a market, they almost always 100 million percent of the time create deadweight loss. And that's what we're going to see. And that's what we're seeing with ESG. That's why I, I stand adamantly against it. I don't stand against innovation. I mean, I was arguing with people this morning because I gave some shit to, you know, I, I posted a video of, of solar panels getting getting brushed off, right? And like, and it's like, it's like a combustion engine tractor that's that's brushing off like an internal combustion engine that's brushing off these fucking things and it's just it's just the only reason i post that i mean it's just such a stark example of how hypocritical this concept of green energy or you know renewable energy is or really what it is is moral energy virtuous energy um it shows you like hey listen like fossil fuels give us steel and concrete and like plastic and like everything in my house around me right now like it's not this is not just about the gasoline that goes in your car. This is this is far beyond that. It's about every luxury you have you have in your life. It's about the light that's you know being beamed into my house at an economic rate. Um, you know these these conversations are not as simple as a lot of the other conversations around Bitcoin when it comes to energy because it's just you can't break it down into a you know five second meme as easily. And so it takes kind of a deeper dive. And when you dive deep into see how to see how ESG kind of impacts innovation, impacts where investment dollars go, and and what kind of a return um, we get off of that, and what kind of a quality of life lift there is, what you find is there's shitloads of deadweight loss, right? What you find is that wow, what kind of opportunity cost have we incurred by by destroying any investment dollars toward this? and forcing investment dollars towards something that's maybe inferior, something like wind, right? I mean, wind turbines are made of epoxy resin. It's made, it's a petroleum product. Like you cannot even make a wind turbine without petroleum. How the fuck are wind turbines going to replace petroleum? I mean, that's like telling me that bread is going to replace wheat. 
right? right? Or that lightning, or that, or that the lightning network is going to replace layer one Bitcoin. Like it's not, it's dependent upon it, right? Like, yes, I think there's great applications for solar. I'm going to own solar. I think it's awesome technology, certainly at the individual, smaller scale, communal scale, even, but it's, it's not scalable, right? When you look at solar at scale, it sucks. The dollars, they suck, right? The investment, it sucks. The return, the, the issues, the, the defensibility, it all sucks relative to, to hydrocarbons and fossil fuels. Um, and I think maybe, sure, there's a, there's a place for a mix, for an energy mix, a balance. But we should not, 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 at, not by jeopardizing, you know, the sanctity and, and defensibility of the grid, right, which is what happened in Texas, right? Had we truly had, you know, the coal fire plant capacity, like, we, there wouldn't have been a problem in Texas. We'd have just shoveled coal into an oven and fired everybody's house back online. Like, it would have been no issue. Um, but the EPA and the ESG wouldn't allow such a thing. So it's like, there's just, there's just compounding deadweight loss, this compounding opportunity cost when you bastardize incentives in a marketplace. And it's, and it's disgusting to see the government, it's all you see from the government typically, right? I mean, that's, they don't really do much else when it comes to, you know, involving themselves in the marketplace, but it's, it's getting to the point now where, where we have to push back, like, because it's, it's going to thwart Bitcoin really Bitcoin's maturity, right? Bitcoin's ability to mature and, and, you know, reach its potential. Um, it's going to be thwarted by this nonsense, you know, nonsensical virtuous narrative, right? We already see it. That's why Bitcoin gets roped into this FUD of how Bitcoin is bad for the environment. Like, like your daughter's first question, right? At the beginning of this podcast, like is Bitcoin bad for the environment? The reason that question is even lingering in the air is because of this nonsensical moralization of energy. And the, it, it's damaging, right? I mean, how damaging is it? How many people have, you know, sat there buying Dogecoin and think, you know, like, because they think that Bitcoin's bad for the environment and Doge is the future. Like, like honestly, it almost carries some weight on the surface. But then you, you know, just take five minutes to look deeper and you realize, like, oh wow, that's like that's a gigantic scarecrow of an argument. Um, but it works. Yeah, mate, it does. Well, let's let's wind back ten years. Where was your mind with regards, like uh, the, the environment and fossil fuels and, and all of that, because I think as Bitcoiners, we've gone through this huge 180. I mean, I know I have. I've spent a life like I was born in the late 70s. And I remember being told in primary school in the early 80s that, you know, every day a football field's worth of trees are raised down in the Amazon forest. And this is going to cause blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's scary. You're like, what? This is this is fucking bad. Like, we've got to stop this. Uh, and has anything yeah. changed? Like, no. Has the narrative changed? No. It's just got worse and worse and worse over the years. Then we had, um, you know, the last five years they really ramped it up. You know, um, like uh, all of the uh, alarmism. Um, if you go back to 2007, Al Gore's uh, inconvenient truth. Uh, like, how was this affecting you as a young man? That's a good question. I mean, I, I you know, I. I... <laughs> had debates on the kind of the climate issue early on. I remember even in high school um, and early in college, like I, I was on the side that like, listen, I understand that the, the climate changes. Like I'm not denying that, that right. What, obviously what the crux of this argument is, is whether or not any kind of climate catastrophe or climate change is man-made, right? It's man-caused, right? Like we, we, we would be all living in some kind of pristine, climate cycle had we not combusted any hydrocarbons is like what the crux of this issue is and on that i usually i, I fell easily on the side of like no I, I don't think that man is responsible for this like one 
and then and then really my second my the second easiest point for me to understand was was this was okay well honestly even if man like the the emissions that were you know the co2 emissions or whatever that that um take place because of industry and things even if that were to have a negative impact on climate like one would it be to the point where we all die right like i i just i i just challenge that first of all and then second of all do tax dollars reverse it right does do regulators reverse that right are, are, are governments capable of solving the the atmospheric composition of this fucking planet like no they i mean governments can't even count fucking ballots okay <laughs> like they can't even count like we got what 17 fucking counts in every single state during the election not not one time did they come back like oh yeah the counts the same as the first time no every single count was different every single time in every single county i mean it was an, it's we can't even fucking count ballots yeah, we're gonna we're gonna control the atmospheric composition of the world and to to a, to a degree which the outcome is great climate like fuck off like no we're not we i mean that is that is beyond egotistical to think that we have that power right that capability even right even by saying like oh we're gonna we're gonna stop this from happening by taxing this because we know that taxing something will reduce it it's like well okay but hold on like do you, do you understand how many emissions happen from just like grass dying like the seasonal death of grass fields the, the methane emissions are insane right like are we going to just pour concrete over that like are what are your solutions and their solutions are more tax dollars that's all they come back with is oh more tax dollars and we're going to use fossil fuels to create wind turbines instead of fossil fuels to create power directly like we're going to jump through this hoop right we're going to have them manufactured using fossil fuels in china and then we're going to import them. so all the energy here is going to look really green and windmills and solar panels but it's it's all a product of you know mining in africa uh, internal combustion engines shipping product to china hydrocarbon manufacturing in china hydrocarbon shipping to the us and now it's fucking green like it's just like, so those arguments to me, like I, I was already, I saw the, the hypocrisy in that, but it was, it's truly with Bitcoin and through understanding Bitcoin that I think I, I like, I really deeply understand the, that deadweight loss, right? That negative impact when you come and bastardize incentives and you come in, I mean, like there, you know, I think Bitcoin's going to, to cause a renaissance of innovation and power generation, right? I think it's, you know, it'll, it'll make uh, people take a more serious look at, at nuclear. I think honestly wind and solar we'll see innovations around them that are a good thing like right i mean the improved innovation around any technology is awesome um but what have we not seen innovation around very much really oil and gas right not since horizontal drilling right not since fracking um and even beyond that the internal combustion engine right like the internal combustion engine hasn't really been innovated upon fucking like a couple decades at least um like why not well because there's no benefit to Right, because the government's going to penalize you if you innovate an internal combustion engine, um, and they'll and they'll reward you if you make an electric motor. And so, like, go build an electric motor. Like, so I think, you know, I was maybe again, like, I was kind of prepped to understand these things and take these things deeply to heart, but I never really put much effort or, or had you know voiced my opinion much in that in that arena because I wasn't I wasn't nearly as fluent. Um, I mean, like, much like most people before I got in the oil and gas industry, I mean, I sure as shit didn't understand how how energy was produced. Like I just, nobody, I mean, most people don't understand. It's like their car, right? Most people know that, you know, you one thing makes the car go, one thing makes the car stop. 
like, but they have no fucking idea how the car runs, right? Like, like they know where to put the gas in, but they don't honestly even really know what they're putting in. They know what it smells like, but they have no idea what it is. Um, and they really don't know what happens after that. Right. And so, and that's fine. Right. That's, a, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of innovation is that you can take super complex systems and everybody can leverage them. Right. Every human being on earth. I mean, leveraging a vehicle, a personal vehicle, shit. What does that do to the quality of life? Fucking insane. Right. It's, it's amazing. Um, and so like, there's these, this, this dominoing effect that gets stifled by regulators, gets stifled by this ESG. And I hate that. Right? I stand firmly against that. But I'm no like, I'm not, you know, anti-solar or something like I think solar is pretty sweet technology. I just don't think you can lay solar panels out and flip a switch and make everything, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, we're all green energy. And I mean, like, are they going to get to a point like if we did that, would they actually be like, oh, well, I guess there's no climate emergency anymore. We did it, guys. And then like, let's focus on something else. Like, no, they would never, they're never going to end the climate emergency. It's, it's an eternal war. It'll never stop. And that's, that's in their benefit, right? Because if they never stop the war, well then, you know, it could be a hundred thousand years, a million years, but inevitably once, you know, the climate is so drastic, they'll be like, see, told you so. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like, and then, and then, you know, in one breath, they tell us the climate's going to kill us in 10 years. And another breath, they tell us a virus will kill us tomorrow. It's like, well, the virus is going to kill me tomorrow. Let me burn my fucking fuel today. Like what, I mean, what, what are we talking about? Right? Like, you know, it's, and then they buy beachfront property the next day at the same time, they tell me the oceans are going to rise. I mean, you know, it's just, there's so much intellectual dishonesty, so much hypocrisy. Um, it's daunting, man. And so like the nice thing about Bitcoin is it anchors, it anchors the conversation around, Hey, like this is something that has a direct production result with energy. Nobody can produce this without you know, interacting directly with thermodynamic law, even your government subsidies aren't going to, aren't going to save you here. Right. Like that, and that's what I hope, right. That's what I hope for. Um, but I mean, I guess maybe I underestimate the limitless of government sub government subsidies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, they, 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 you know, they're, they're pretty addicted to that, that burr button and uh Fuck. god they, they can malinvest like they uh like nobody else can uh, you know as as oh, you've yeah. been explaining it's just uh it's crazy do, do you see you know you've been talking about uh talking directly with producers uh, and you mentioned earlier about the uh the rolling blackouts in um where did you say they were uh california i think um no i was in texas texas no right, texas okay. this past yeah this they had that uh you know, once in a hundred year storm kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And in Texas and the, the power grid went down for like 48 hours for a whole bunch of people and literally the energy capital of potentially the fucking world. Like, yep. Yeah. No power. Pretty crazy. Well, if, if we look at other towns and other states, uh, you know, I was listening to uh, Harry Sudok. I've listened to him on a couple of episodes. I think I caught oh, one with John, with John Vallis. And, you know, I was starting to understand, you know, how, how a you know, these, these companies that manage the grids for your community and your cities, uh, like they, the Bitcoin, if you plugged in a Bitcoin consulting company that had everything that you needed, like, uh, your, uh, your homes or whatever, you could go in there under contractual agreement that we will help you manage your grid to a hundred percent efficiency because any surplus that comes in, we just turn on the rigs any like huge spike in demand we turn off the rigs and then everything is getting the absolute perfect amount of power they need when they need it and you are not sitting there with a bunch of like a dangerous energy surplus that needs to be 
you know, dissipated in, in whatever fashion. So yeah, I run I, into a load bank, really is what they do. They just run it into the ground. Uh, right. So now you can run it, but you guys can turn up and like under like uh, like a kind of shared revenue stream that you take free electricity, you've got free warehousing, however, you know, because they'll have the, uh, the the area for you to go in there and you enter into some kind of deal where it's like, we'll split revenue like 50-50. They have 100% efficiency and have improved safety by God knows how much to the, the whole operation. It just seems like a, a whole win-win-win scenario. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, and, and to, you know, to clarify, upstream, upstream data's business model is a little different than something like that, right? Where, I mean, like I said, I think we started off that way where we came in to oil and gas producers rather than grid operators and said, hey, like, you've got this gas, you know, we'll come in and buy it from you for half of spot price, right? Half of what you would get if you had a pipeline, but you don't have a pipeline and you're never going to have a pipeline. Um, and they're usually happy. We're happy because we got cheap power. Everybody's happy. And we do that like at upstream data. We we have a significant, you know, mining operation up in up in Canada, our own, you know, liability gas that we can we can tap into. Um, but there's not really any added bet. I mean, like to the point where like there's enough gas up in Canada that we could scale infinitely, seemingly, right? And so it's like there's not much added value for us to go be the ones that deploy these Bitcoin mines now all over North America to these oil and gas producers because it would cost us a whole bunch to like be able to maintain Bitcoin mines all over North America. We'd have to have, you know, people flying around and shit. Mm -hmm. um, whereas we could just build, you know, constantly scale up at home. So we go out to these, oil, like it'd be as if we go to the grid providers instead of saying, hey, like we'll come and bring this Bitcoin mine and make sure that you sell your electricity, you know, at all times, 100% of the time. Um, I'm coming in and telling them like, hey, listen, you should buy this Bitcoin mine because, and learn how to use it because then you can sell all your electricity and there'll be no, there's no room for arbitrage. You don't need, you don't need me, right? Like mining Bitcoin, you don't need me. I'm not, I, I mean, as much as maybe I'm an, a Bitcoin mining expert right now, right? You're, you can be an expert in like 45 days of doing this. Like you're, you're going, you're smart. You're going to pick up on this. It's not rocket science. It's a lot less complicated than the normal shit you do every day. Um, and so like, when I tell them that and I give them that confidence, it's like, Hey, you can start at any scale. I think, but honestly, I think you should, most of them are open to that. Some of them are still like, you know, we don't want to take the Bitcoin magic internet money risk. We want a Bitcoin miner to come in here and just buy our power. Right. And that's fine because inevitably they're going to get to the point where they run the Bitcoin mine anyway. Right. Because mm -hmm. Bitcoin will train them, right. Bitcoin, it'll become less risky to own these magic internet money computers and it won't be as scary to them. Their accounting department won't care about it. It'll, it'll become normal and fine and and they'll kick off the Bitcoin miners and just build their own shit. Um, and that's going to happen anyway, right? Like, because, and, and I knew this was going to happen, right? Back in 2018, I knew for a fact that someday, I didn't know when, but I knew someday oil and gas producers were going to come back and they were going to say, like, if I, if I got mining on the oil field, they were going to come to me and say, hey, like, how, can I just buy your Bitcoin mine or like, get the fuck off. I'm just, you know, like I'm going to mine my, with, with my gas now. Like I knew that was going to happen. That's why I was so adamant at getting exposure as fast as I did was because I was like, I, I need to get in. I need to get my foot in the door and get like, you know, comfortable in here before these guys wake up. Um, and that being said, they have woken up since, right? I even had, like I've, I've mentioned this before I had our, the producer who I'm currently, you know, consuming their gas, they asked to buy my Bitcoin mine. And I was happy to sell it to them. I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll sell you my Bitcoin mine. Like that's, I, I knew this day would come um, and I'll just, I'll go do it again. I'll buy another one and go find somebody else. Um, and, and then they came back and told me that they couldn't buy my Bitcoin mine because they, were, they would be, uh, their business insurance would, would cancel them. 
And so they can't, they can't hold any Bitcoin mining hardware um, without their business insurance canceling. And so it was like, oh, okay. So I guess you're not, you gotta be mining Bitcoin. I'll, then they were like, all right, well, you know, just, I guess we're, we're happy with the current arrangement. And I guess maybe we'll come back when our business insurance isn't crazy. And maybe then we'll buy the Bitcoin mine, right? Like seriously, like we're, we're that early where business insurance doesn't know how to calculate, you know, hardware risk of, of Bitcoin mining, or maybe like, you know, they were worried that, if these guys are mining Bitcoin, they're involved in some type of international crime or something like, you know, who knows what kind of assumptions they made, or at least assumptions they have to make because they're an insurance company that rules these people out as being, you know, rules this company out as somebody that they can even insure because they're like, shit, well, if they're doing this, then they could be doing this. And like, we can't cover that. So like, we can't even insure them. Um, and so I don't know, it just seems to me like we're, we're, we're at this super early spot and there's definitely opportunities for like, and I think what, I think that's kind of like what Harry does, right. With, with his company. Um, I think it's called grids um, where they come in and they, they, they effectively say like, Hey, listen, we'll bring in a Bitcoin mining package and we'll allow you to, you know, be a more, become a more efficient grid provider. It's an awesome business model. I think Harry's the, he's a perfect fucking guy for, for the job and, and his fluency and understanding grid inefficiencies is it's awesome. I love listening to him talk about it. Um, he's much more, he's going to be much more fluent, you know, in that regard than I am. I'm, I'm, we're kind of doing the same thing. Just we're a step upstream from him, mm -hmm. right? He's at the transmission level. We're at the pr upstream production level. And um, I think it's going to happen all the way throughout the energy stack, the upstream level. I think the economics are a little bit better, but not really because when there's loss, there's loss, right? Loss is zero losses is, is an expense period, no matter which side of the energy stack it's in. And so they're, they're going after, you know, more or less about as viable of an opportunity. Um, maybe not as prevalent, but certainly seemingly endless um, opportunities to, to make grids operate more efficiently, right? Like, I don't think Harry's got any, any problems trying to expand other grids, right? Like there's plenty of work to do. Yeah, mate. That's, and you're getting me excited there. You're talking about insurance. And I, I'm, I'm thinking for any of the plebs listening that, that might be on their commute and their fiat job into their insurance job. Yeah, go start your own niche little um, hey. insurance company policy and, you know, service these guys like directly no, service seriously. the oil and gas Bitcoin mining guys. Yeah, no, insure their freaking miners. Like if, if you're bullish on Bitcoin, right, you're bullish on this, this hardware like there's an offer, there's a massive void. And, and that's what I think Unchained Capital is, is taken, you know, has, has identified with the oil and gas spaces. They realize like, wow, these are going to be, these are massive companies that are taking on Bitcoin, right, on their treasury. Like they might only be momentarily, right? Maybe they're converting it relatively quickly. But these guys, these, these companies are going to have potentially, you know, Bitcoin custodial um, demand. Mm -hmm. and custodial services and demand for custodial services. And so like Unchained Cap has been, you know, starting that conversation already with oil and gas producers. Like, hey, listen, you're potentially going to be mining a lot of Bitcoin. Like, how do you want to handle it? Right. We have a lot of great options as to how we can, you know, manage the Bitcoin holdings in a way that, you know, your, your board of directors feels comfortable, right? That your, your stakeholders, I mean, what if they're public companies, right? It's, it's, it's to the standard that it needs to be um, so that you can actually participate in this this new technology and you can actually optimize your hydrocarbon production maybe you need the financial services before you can even buy the bitcoin mine right and so you know that was something i had a i had a pretty i had a pretty good conversation with parker lewis down in houston um one-on-one -on -one with him and and you know something that him and i i think kind of bonded on was the fact that you know we're both we both see 
Bitcoin as this incredibly serious technology. Like as much fun as this is, as much as it is shit posting on Twitter and, you know, rockets to the fucking moon or whatever, like this is the most serious opportunity in any industry in the world today. Um, you know, maybe that's my opinion. Maybe there's some opportunity that's comparable when it comes to 5G networks, maybe when it comes to, you know, some satellite launching and things like that. But really, there's nothing cooler. There's nothing more disruptive happening right now than Bitcoin's disruption in energy production. And Houston, Texas specifically is, you know, it's the most serious oil and gas town you can find. I mean, you walk around Houston, Texas and talk about oil and gas, like people people either call you on your bullshit or they'll take you seriously, right? Like it's, it's pretty much, um, you know, it's a highly respected profession still in Houston. And so these guys are really serious energy producers. These are very serious businessmen. They, they move a lot of capital, they move markets. And when they get involved, it's gonna be meaningful and it's gonna be impactful to the community. It's gonna be impactful to the network. Um, and we ought to take it with that level of seriousness, right? Like I wake up every day as much as I'm having fun. I get to talk to bit, you know, oil and gas producers about mining Bitcoin. Like I still have a somber moment where I'm like, listen, this is like this is a, a tool that allows and and really supplements human flourishing, right? And and sovereign individualism. This is a tool I can't afford to fuck around with. Like this isn't this isn't a job I can afford to half-ass because because I'll look back in 15, 20 years and I'll be desperately disappointed with myself that I didn't try to help push this thing harder because look at how great it is, right? Especially if somehow Bitcoin fails, right? And it's like, hey, had we only had we only pushed it and really educated the world on what this thing actually was, maybe the world wouldn't have lit it on fire. Um, and so I think I think there's kind of this, there's a lot of fun going on, but behind the scenes, there's this this kind of somber level of seriousness. And there's some guys that, you know, I'd say I'd put myself in that group. I'd say my boss, Steve Barber, Marty Bent. Um, you know, I think, I think Parker Lewis is definitely in that group and the guys at Unchained Capital, like they're, we're bringing another level of seriousness to this, to this discussion. And it's no longer just about, you know, have fun staying poor. This is, this is have fun, you know, becoming a fucking dinosaur and becoming and getting out competed. Right. Like that's like, we're going to beat you. If you, if, if you don't join us, we're going to beat you. That's, that's where we're coming from. And I think that's where the maximalism comes from. I think it comes from, you know, when, when you see us on, on Twitter and, and, you know, like uh, messing around with the shit coiners or the NFTers or whatever, it's because you, this isn't a fucking game. Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, we're going to go if like Krugman or Rubini or Teleb steps up and starts saying shit, you're going to feel the wrath. And yeah, it's going to be classed as maximalism, but it's classed as maximalism because it cut the shit, cut the fucking exactly. shit. Seriously. This is why we are here. This is what we are doing. This is what we are building. This is what it means to, you know, uh, humanity and, and building societies and communities. We've had decades of your narratives. We've had decades of you. We've had lifetimes among us of all of your bullshit. You can go buy an NFT if you want for five million bucks, but who gives a fuck? It's just completely pointless, utterly pointless. No, it's kind of it's almost like, I'm, I mean, as much as, you know, maybe this isn't a great example because it's, I think it was a Steve Jobs quote. Um, but like when he, when he got that guy from Pepsi, that marketing guy from Pepsi, even though right. I think it ended up, yeah, it ended up falling apart, but he told me, he was like, you know, do you want to change the world or do you want to sit around selling fucking sugar water all day? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, like at the end of the day, what are you doing with your time? What are you, 
what's the result of your effort and the result of your human capacity and, and capital and and time um and yeah i don't i don't have any time for the people that want to stand in the way of this right because because central bankers have robbed the world for for long enough um and and fuck they've made out really well like they can't they can't even look back and say like damn you know that wasn't even where like man they've lived great lives and they've those central bankers have feathered the shit out of their nests um but their time has come and what they want to do now is you know sweep all the chips off the game board and reset it exactly and go again yeah and go again um and i think i think that's not going to happen right i think bitcoin is the the great alternative they didn't plan for us i don't yeah no no they didn't plan for us (laughs) so what happened real quick yeah hold on before you ask me i was gonna say if you can cut this out real quick i gotta i gotta help my dog let him outside real quick sorry yeah sure Shit, sorry, man. I hope you can cut that out. Of course. He was, he was, gonna, start, he was gonna start barking real loud, so it was gonna get real annoying. <laughs> no problem. And he, might, he might still bark when he comes back, but still. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to like bring this all the way back to the, the 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 Houston meetup that you did because you were there giving a presentation, so as a bunch of the, of other guys. So what, CMB showed up, CNBC showed up and, and wanted to, is that yeah, what guess, happened? Like, or were they scheduled to come and ask questions? What, like, what, what's the, how did it all kind of come together? That's a great question. I, I don't really know. And honestly, I don't, I don't want to take any credit for, for things um, because I wasn't really the, the brains behind the Houston meetup by any means. Um, that was, like I said, it was started by um, a guy on Twitter named Al's lacrosse. Um, yes. and, and I think unchained cap, um, we're kind of the ones that started it like five months ago, like I said, and I think it like they, the way they tell it is I, I wasn't there for the first meeting. Right. Um, they, they said it started under a tree, um, with like 20 people or something. And like I said, this, you know, by the fifth or sixth meeting, we were at almost 200. Um, but they're really the ones that put it together. So Al's lacrosse and, um, Parker Lewis from unchained, you know, kind of, set the stage for it. And then Parker had just requested, had asked me if I would like join um, a panel of him, uh, Marty Bent, um, awesome guy named uh, Petro Mundo. Uh, he's an oil and gas, but he's a, he's a Bitcoin miner. Um, and gosh, I can't remember. Uh, oh, Alejandro from Poulin. Um, and so he just, they had asked us to kind of like sit at the front of the, the meetup and, you know, we had a microphone and some TVs to present. And then we just went through some Bitcoin mining news of the month, kind of. Um, and during that process, uh, he had asked us to kind of describe what, what we currently do in the industry. And that was when I got the opportunity to, to kind of give upstream data's perspective on how, you know, we work with oil and gas producers and how I kind of approach them and, and let them know like, hey, listen, look at, look at this as a secondary energy consumption market. And it really quickly becomes something that you should understand. Um, and you know, that I think was what, you know, part of what traveled and, and went so, went so long with, with some of these producers and stuck in their head was this idea that like, wait, hold on. Am I just, am I potentially missing something that is very important to what I do? Like, am, am I being a bad energy producer, like a, right. an ignorant energy producer? Like just that, just put that thought in their head. Like, like, you know, and then they lay in bed at night, like, fuck, I think I have to learn about Bitcoin. looking at <laughs> facing career risk, right? That's, that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, and, and I and I mentioned it to him. I said, listen, you know, when you when you first hear that there's this new energy consumption market, right? The initial reaction is to be fearful, is to think, oh shit, my way of life is being disrupted. I have to go learn something new now. Like, 
this, this is bullshit. This is a fad. This is, this isn't going to change my, my way of life. Right. Like that's the initial, that's the knee jerk reaction. The way that somebody reacts to that, who is going to be very successful in this space and certainly in oil and gas is the petroleum engineer that, that goes, Oh, this is a secondary energy consumption market. Like, Oh, well shit. I could, if I understand that secondary market better than anyone else, like I'm going to be the best oil and gas producer this decade. And then they start diving in, right? And the cream's going to rise to the top. The best oil and gas producers are going to be the only ones left because if I can make more money with the same oil and gas than you can, why the fuck are you in business, right? I'm just going to come buy your assets. I'm going to produce them better than you. They love my, to merge in that you know, field. Oh, exactly. Oh, exactly. I'll, exactly, man. I'll freaking, I'll freaking M&A your whole goddamn portfolio in like, you know, 18 months because I'll have the stock to do it. I'll have the numbers to do it. Um, so I'll just be a better oil and gas producer than you. And nobody's going to remember your name. They're going to remember my company's name because we're the ones that ran with this new technology. We didn't hide from it. Um, and that's, that's what I'm excited about. Cause I, I'm going to work with the guys. I get to build for the guys that are running with this, that are taking this in stride and leveraging it to their advantage rather than shying away from it and, and seeing how it might not be that beneficial. Right. So, I mean, we, we haven't seen the article yet. What's your feel? Did, did, did you think that the journalist was showing, a like um kind of genuine interest or yeah. because i always get the feel that a lot of these guys are just called in in front of the editor and they're just right i, I need a piece on bitcoin on my desk by tomorrow morning and they just go and copy yeah. paste and hack a load of shit up together but like you you, you actually do, yeah. met were, were the journalists there and you actually got to yeah i met so it, it was it was it was Mackenzie uh, Siegelow, the one that's she's a CNBC reporter. She recently did a story on, um, you know, Plan B Passport, which is Katie, the Russians yes. company. Right. Um, and so she's she did a story on Katie and her story on Katie was was thorough and, and was honest, I'd say. Right. Like, I think it was I think it was a good story um, and it wasn't misleading or anything. Um, I'm, I spoke with Mackenzie and I and I DM'd with her a whole bunch. Um, you know, she she had a lot of questions. I mean, this is a whole new world right and i think she had genuine she has genuine interest um i'm sure that like the editor could I mean, and i and i've seen a couple of like you know pieces of the article um and from what i can tell from those pieces like i think like i mean the parts where i was quoted like you know i, I had her correct a couple things and like make sure that they were truly honest quotes um but I think that she's trying to to do, you know, justice to whatever the truth is, right? I don't think she has much of an agenda. Um, at least if she if she does, she hit it really well. And you know, I was defensive even talking with her. One thing that I, a notable interaction I had with Mackenzie was she was she was interviewing me in in Dallas um, at the Underground Citadel conference, and at one point she asked me um a question and, and she phrased the question something like so what would you say is the general feel of the people here you know the general kind of it was something like the general you know mood of the preppers and she referred to us all as preppers right and and this was during like the underground citadel conference which is i mean i could see how that's like from the outside kind of a prepper like whatever and i was like preppers and she was truly like she, she had she was very much um she didn't expect me to laugh at her, her use of preppers, right? She was like, 
oh my God, like she thought she offended me or something. She was like, she's like, I'm sorry, is that is that not the right term? And I was like, well, maybe it is the right term. Like kind of, I think for some of these people probably, I was like, but more than, like we're not really preppers. I'd say like, if you want to group us all into, if you want to group Bitcoiners under an umbrella, you'd say that we're, you could call it, maybe you even want to call us extremists, but you would say that we're a group or a group of extremists that our primary goal is to separate money from state. Right. That's really it. That's really the whole goal of Bitcoin. Like all the other stuff, you know, whatever carnivore and, and individual sovereignty, individual sovereignty kind of comes along the lines of, you know, separating money from state. But, but all that kind of stuff is maybe on top, like the base layer, the thing that I think we all agree upon, like we would all, we'd actually find true consensus amongst Bitcoiners is if the question was, do you think we should separate money from state? Everybody would be like, fucking yes. Like, okay, like we all can get behind that. Um, and that's really, I think what, at the end of the day, what we all feel about Bitcoin. And so, you know, I, when I, and when I told her that, she, I mean, I could see her wheels turning kind of like, oh, well, I, like, I, I, like, honestly, like and the look in her eyes was kind of like, I've never considered that money and state weren't separated, <laughs> right? Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, I never actually maybe thought about it. Um, you know, like, shit, what do you mean by separating money from state? And like, what I mean is the state fucks up the money and it fucks up everything else along the way. And if we fix the money, like, the state will have to play fair and, uh, you know, we'll be good. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's very, it's so, it's so simplistic. Sometimes it seems like just utter blind extremism or like a cult because it's like, you know, how could this solve these problems? Um, and it's just because the deeper you look, right. You realize that a lot of the problems in the world today are because of how intertwined money and state are. Um, how how these central banks have robbed the world and taken control of governments because they have the the printing press right and and they can they can essentially tax through inflation right I mean inflation is taxation without representation um, and and that's what we've seen reckless amounts of the last shit certainly the last twenty four months um, eighteen months it's been what over over forty five percent of the money supply the last fourteen months fucking nuts and we know what happened last time there was taxation without representation that's exactly right i mean that's exactly where we're headed right we're, we're headed toward a rebellion we're headed toward a place i mean that's one of the, i mean it's one of the quotes i read earlier today right i think it was a thomas jefferson quote was you know when when tyranny becomes law rebellion becomes your duty right i mean that's and that's a fact i mean we tyranny takes a lot of forms i think violent tyranny physical tyranny is obviously the most abhorrent and vomit worthy to experience right to see somebody being physically abused or somebody behaving tyrannically you know like the, the, the idea or the visual of, of you know people being ushered into containment camps and things mm. like that's really those are really stark and really hit us hit us close in our you know the hit us in the brain stem if you will right it's hard to forget those images but the idea of monetary tyranny of financial tyranny it's it's much more gray. It's much more amorphous, right? It's not sharp. It's not scary. It's really, I can't even picture what is, what does monetary tyranny look like? Right. I can't really picture it. I think what it looks like maybe is a, is a wheelbarrow full of fucking, you know, Zimbabwe dollars. Um, like maybe that's what it looks like, but it's tyranny nonetheless. And so you know, we're at this point now where tyranny has become law. And now, I mean, we're at the point where like physical tyranny is becoming law when we're talking about mandating of, of vaccinations. Like, I mean, I thought that that was, what's weird is 
honestly, if you'd asked me like 2010, um, which is right about when I graduated high school, if you'd asked me, do you think the majority of Americans like would oppose mandatory vaccinations? Like I would have answered like, yes, I think 100% of Americans would oppose that. Like, you know, like I truly think, and I would have been shocked to know anybody thinks that injecting people should ever be a mandatory thing. Like I, I would much prefer to live in a world where people like walk themselves into their death for refusing a vaccination than a world where they're held against their will, vaccinated and their lives are saved. Like I truly would prefer to live in the world where they die with choice. Um, and I, th I thought that that was a pretty American ideal, like a pretty norm. Um, and apparently it's not anymore. Um, and so, you know, it's, I remember the first time I read somebody, somebody said the US constitution is a shit coin. In time. <laughs> and I remember, I, I, I honestly, it might've been Katie the Russian that said it, um, <laughs> but, I remember reading that when it was said or hearing it the first time. And I remember being like upset. Like I remember like pers being like personally like, no, it's not, you know, like, like, the, you know, like that's a, that's a document of freedom. And then you look at it now and you're like, fuck no, it's a total shit coin. Like it fell apart. It was a really good attempt. It was a really good attempt at solidifying individual liberty, but it has failed. It has been circumvented by this freaking kangaroo Congress and the central bank. Um, and so like we don't have it anymore. We don't have liberty anymore. Um, we're we're in, we're in some kind of pseudo, you know, free land um, where we're about to sacrifice all privacy and all personal information right before we give up, you know, our physical choices. And so, man, we're on the brink of something. Like it's a really all at once moment right now. Um, the gradually, then suddenly, right? This is that we're we're like right at the beginning of the suddenly part. Um, where I think we'll look back in five or six years and be like, oh shit, yeah, 2021 was when it all fucking happened. Like that was when it all started. Like that was the beginning of when oil and gas started taking Bitcoin seriously. That was the beginning of people starting to stand up for choice and individual liberty. That was the beginning of people no longer taking this, this central bank bullshit. Like I think 15 years we'll look back and you could kind of trace it to these days. Um, they just keep piling it on, don't they? All of the mass confusion and oh. trying to divide the people, you know, in the UK, just like 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago, it was, there was a panel uh, of uh, professional doctors that came out and said, right, there's absolutely no need to vaccinate 12 to 15 year olds. You know, like we can move on from this. No, no reason. Yeah, Today, there's, there's a reason to make sure we have the medication to treat them <clears throat> if they get sick. Right. Whatever right. The, that yeah, Z-Pack, you know, zinc, that kind of shit. Like, but yeah, you're right. Continue on. But then today it's announced in the UK by the prime minister that they're going to ignore all of that information and they're going to go straight forward with it. Now, you, you, with the mandating, with the man, yeah, like well, mandating well, these. They're going to say like you'll strongly recommend and start really, really pushing it. So what you have is it, it doesn't matter what the story is. It doesn't matter what side of the fence you fall on this, but what is their ultimate goal is mass confusion and just pointing fingers at each other. And what's going on now in um, in the US? What state? Texas, I think. All of a sudden, this whole abortion thing argument has just suddenly exploded again. Like, yeah, you know, what? Why? Okay, where, hold on. Where are they peddling that one from? I know, but hold on, hold on. What's interesting about that is there are, there is like an incredible amount of hypocrisy on both fucking sides of the aisle here. 
right? Because in the starkness between abortion and, and, you know, mandatory vaccines is amazing where conservatives are sitting there all day saying mandatory vaccines are unconstitutional, but then they're very anti-abortion. And then the other side, right, is so pro-abortion, but they're pro-mandating vaccines and wearing masks. It's like, I mean, but is it, am I the only one in the middle that's like looking at these idiots? Like, not like, why am I listening to fucking either of you? You know what I mean? Like, I we can't be alone, right, Daniel? Like, there's no way we're the only. There's no way it's just these Bitcoiners on Twitter that see through this bullshit. Like, there's no way the intellectual dishonesty is is only obvious to us, right? It's it's got to be as obvious to everybody else too, right? Are they just are they just so? Are, they just have no backbone to speak out against it or they, they just see no point in calling out bullshit. They just move on with their lives. Like, what, what, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I think that more people would be, would be just hilariously throwing their hands up. Like, are you guys, you're all idiots. And then there was another you know? one yesterday. RT came out and said, there's, you know, a, a, a huge undersea volcanic eruption is now inevitable in like the next five years. So now you're, th- <laughs> <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's endless, but the problem is, mate, people are living headline to headline. Wait, on, they don't on, stop and question. Did, did they, is it at least like the oil and gas industry's fault that this volcano is going to explode? Uh, like, <laughs> I am like, sure. It because, it's probably because of all the hydrocarbons we've burned. That's why this volcano is acting up earlier than it would have by a million years. It will be our fault somehow. It will be. It'll be no. It'll be. Yeah. It'll be Bitcoin or or the petroleum industries or you know. It don't won't be the central bankers' fault. Sure, hell won't be. You know. No, they'll be there to save us. They'll be there to save us with Klaus on his white horse. Oh yeah, no, we are. Well, we're we're hopeless without them. I mean, it's. I mean, without them, where would we be? Like, remember what Obama said when he was he was up there and like he got a bunch of shit for, but he he was out. He has got that quote where he's like, you know, if you built a business. Like you didn't do that with alone, you know, you had roads and shit. Like he, he tried to like take credit for every business that's ever been built. Like a piece of credit is due to the state. Like, go fuck yourself, dude. Like the state didn't take any risk. The state kicked me in the balls the whole way I tried to make this business. And I, and I succeeded regardless. Like, don't you dare take credit. You, you can take some of my profit, but don't you fucking take any of my credit. You know, like it, this it's is so insidious. It, like the, it's, it's just insidious, crazy. You're right. It's so, man. But anyway, so for any listeners out there, just look at the narrative. Look at what they're doing. They're trying to confuse you. They're trying to divide you, like at a family level as well. You know, you, they, they want to split oh, yeah. your friend group up, your families up, uh, because then you're easy. To, you're easier to control if if we're all fighting within each other and, and not pointing the finger at the true problem, which are the policies and regulations that make no sense. And like the, the money printing that's crippling the, the middle to lower classes. Um, and this whole great reset narrative, which is truly very, very worrying. Um, but uh, anyway, well, I guess, yeah, mate, dude, we- isn't that horrifying when you see Klaus? That Klaus, how can anyone take him seriously, dude? He he is the most he is the epitome of a fucking supervillain. Like I mean, if I like if you could show his picture to a a four year old that doesn't even speak yet, and they would know that he's a bad guy. Like you know what I mean? Like there's an inherent energy around him of tyranny. <laughs> like I mean, Mike Myers. So, I mean, it's like it's blatant. My- 
Mike Myers nailed it with Doctor Evil, and then Klaus comes. Oh along yeah, no, this, yeah. <laughs> Klaus is literally like he's the he's what Doctor Evil would actually look like if he if it wasn't a comedy, if it was a fucking tragedy. <laughs> like he's what Doctor Evil would look like. And then the other day I mean, he was. Uh, did you see that he was interviewing Christine Lagarde? Oh my god. And she was talking about oh, how God. there needs to be oh, more God. women in the workplace and, uh, you know, more women in finance and all of this kind of, it's like, hang on a second. So we've got this Dr. Evil kind of character over here interviewing a convicted felon for embezzling 425 million euros when she was head of the IMF into like Sarkozy and his business partner's back pocket. Yeah. And by the way, and this is, this is a woman who had shattered all glass ceilings that apparently exist, by the way, and it's currently sitting in this interview. Right. Like, and for, for, you know, her reward for breaking the law was not to pay the fine or do the, uh, the prison term. It was to get promoted to the head of the uh, European Central Bank. I'm like, well, they could have well, picked yeah. a better role model for, like, if they wanted. <laughs> but yeah, when, all... yeah, I want my daughters to grow up to be just like Christine Lagarde. I mean, like, no, you're right. And it's, and, and they, and they tout it right in front of our face, right? They put it on the Bloomberg terminal and just, and just, tell us that we're all terrible and you know we're all oppressing women and like meanwhile like most of us are just out here like trying to live good lives and treat people well and make a buck you know like create value for a profit um nobody you know what i mean it's just they they, they have anybody that disagrees with them the mode the mode of operation is to vilify those who disagree with you right you it's the speaker box mentality if you if you yeah. can make if you can make the speaker box ugly enough no matter what sound comes out of it, everyone will hate it, right? It just, it ends up discrediting everything that comes out of your mouth. That's what cancel culture is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what sucks is that, it's, a, it's the idea that if Hitler said the sky was blue, like all of a sudden saying the sky is blue is a bad thing to say. And it's like, well, just because Hitler said it doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Like, like, like I know he's like the worst guy ever, but like still doesn't mean what he said was wrong. Like take, let's analyze what he said. Um, you know, it's like, that's, that's the kind of ideas anybody can, anybody can, can justify horrible actions, but it takes everyone to let it, to let it happen without any protest, right? Everyone has to be in this consensus of, of diffusion of responsibility where nobody's going to stand up for what's right. Everyone's just going to allow bullshit to occur. And I think that's where like, you know, people that are in Bitcoin, we, we get inspired to speak up because for the first time we have like one, the people that if they cancel us, well, fuck you, you can't cancel my money. Like, I don't care. I don't care how much, I don't care if you all hate me. You can't stop me from owning Bitcoin and, and leveraging the fruits of my labor and storing my, the fruits of my labor in a, in a way that can't be debased and in a way that you, you can't, you know, remotely just rob me. Um, like no matter how hated I am, Bitcoin treats me the same. And so in that way, like we get inspired. We, it's a little bit of hope, like, hey, no matter how bad it gets, you know, I mean, can I say the same about my bank? No, trust me. If I got canceled, my bank would drop me in a fucking heartbeat. My credit, I mean, my, my credit card gone, right? I mean, that we're moving toward a social credit score. Bitcoin mm -hmm. is our only hope, our only hope to have any kind of free industry in, in a world where there's social credit scores. Because it'll be nothing but it'll be it'll literally be an economy of, of virtue signaling. That yeah. is like literally you'll you'll make money by virtue signaling. That because money will be so free. 
because to yep. produce money costs nothing, right? It costs nothing to pr produce carbon credits. It costs nothing to produce dollars. And when it costs nothing to, to produce money, everything goes to shit. Everything becomes worthless. And if you've got that central bank digital currency app on your phone, they're going to keep that little carrot dangling over you. You know, if you're a good citizen this week, maybe you can claim that oh, you're just it's disgusting. You're 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 a whore. You are yep. literally a whore for the state at that point. Yeah, you literally just give the state your data, your life, your livelihood, your future, everything. And they give you these little tokens. They give you these little coupons that you get to go spend at Albertsons. Like you're a fucking whore and you ought to look yourself in the mirror and, and ask yourself what this life is all about, right? Because what it's about is individual choice, love and freedom, right? Like that's, those are the things that matter. Yeah, man, this is, uh... all right. Well, I didn't want to end it on a somber note. So I've got to ask you, <laughs> I've got to ask you the last question anyway. So if you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give it to and why? Ooh, that's, the, that's a great question. Who would I give an orange pill to? Um, like just like a, force them to see the light right is that is that kind of the hypothetical up to you man people right people right. however you want to do it there's been a a, a a quite varied answer you know it would probably be somebody a distinguished thinker that i that i respect and what's interesting about that is most of the distinguished minds that i respect most of them are in are you know in the bitcoin space um but there is one who I, a mind that I respect, and I and I don't agree with him on on much. Like we we di I disagree with him on a ton, and it's one of the reasons I respect him is, um, he's a, I, I think he's a officially like a radio host slash political commentator. You call him. His name is Dennis Prager. Um, he's a, he's a old you know older boomer Jewish scholar guy that's been on the radio forever. He, he was a total like Trump guy. Um, so he's like, a, he's a Republican kind of establishment, kind of a dude, but he's really, really intelligent. He's got, a, I mean, and he has he, some really, really, uh, some critical thought and, and deep dive podcasts into really morality and, and, you know, what does it mean to be an ethical participant in an economy and an ethical, you know, person like, you know, how does the state even factor into a moral life like is the state i mean like you know and like that's kind of where i maybe disagree with him is he has some reasons as to why he would say maybe the state could be you know is legitimate um but i would orange pill him i think and he's got and this is the thing his audience is massive he's got he's got like a rush limbaugh kind of an audience right like you know in, in the millions tens of millions um and his audience is mainly like freedom loving you know kind of red-blooded american patriots which I think if they took an orange pill, they would quickly become red-blooded American libertarians. And then they'd become like, like state minimalists, almost anarchists really quickly because they would, again, they would, they would be open-minded to the fact that the money's the fucking problem, that it's not something you can elect. You know, even if Trump is your savior, like he can't fix this. I know even if he was perfectly well-intentioned, even if Biden had the greatest intentions in his heart to make everything right, they can't, this is broken beyond their control. And so like, this is going to, this is going to need a more significant reset or more significant reshuffling of, of kind of the economic basis. And so, you know, I, I he would be a good one. He would be really, I think like, honestly, like 
along those lines, I almost think it would be really cool if like somebody like a Ben Shapiro, right? Like these guys that have these massive fucking audiences where they would get, you know, 25 million people who are already, or at least maybe already LARP. Like most of these people already LARP as being, you know, individual and liberty-minded. And it would maybe get them to wake up and actually be liberty and, and individual uh, freedom-minded. Um, and that, and I think that would be a good thing for the world, right? I think it would be, I think everybody would benefit. Like the more people that are out there living sovereign individual lives, my life is enhanced from it. And so, yeah, I'd say one of those big conservative LARPing, you know, <laughs> megaphones that's out there. I, I want, I, the, the, there's, I think there's a shitload of life. I mean, like I know so many guys I went to college without, you know, I went to college out in, in farm country in Iowa. I went to, I, I also went to school down in Texas for a couple semesters. Um, like I know so many conservative, like Liberty, you know, you're not going to fucking tell me what to do kind of people that like, they still are really skeptical of Bitcoin or they think it's stupid. And honestly, they might even associate Bitcoin with like universal basic income and Jack Dorsey's global globalist point of view and, and shit, you know? And so they think of it as like this, this like socialist money when in fact it's the opposite, right? This is like pure capitalist money. Um, this is money. Nobody can, nobody can produce for free. Um, so I, yeah, that would be, I would love to see that. Right. Like, like when Joe Rogan says it, you know, like, it's fucking Joe Rogan. Everybody's like, it almost takes it with a grain of salt in a way. Um, but these other people, like they have like loyal, what we call P1 listeners, people that take action immediately upon hearing this person that they've trusted and listened to for, you know, years. Um, that would be cool. That would be, that would be the Mecca for me. Love it, mate. Well, let's hope one day that they, uh, they might listen to this podcast or something like it well, they will. Start going down yeah. the rabbit hole. That's... Yeah, if they've got a if they've got a brain cell in their head, they'll they'll figure it out. Bitcoin will find them. We we all know yeah. that's how it works, mate. Where can people find you? And uh, make sure you shill uh, what's going on at uh, at Upstream if they want to come and find you and um, yeah, DM you about uh, your services. What's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, so you can find me at Denver Bitcoin on Twitter. Um, I think I've got like a link to my to my Medium page where I've written a couple articles on this stuff. Um, and some some other podcasts as well. Um, definitely check out upstreamdata.ca, www.upstreamdata.ca. Um, I think it's the coolest oil and gas company around. We're doing some awesome stuff, helping producers uh, become Bitcoin miners, right? Um, if you want to connect with me, one of the best ways to connect with me actually is you can check out Coinbeast. So coinbeast.com, they're, they're a Bitcoin education platform, um, but they have this, this Coinbeast Connect uh, part of their platform where you can actually book time with me one-on-one. -on -one. So there's a cost to it, right? I mean, I charge for my time, but um, I also donate to Bitcoin Core Development with, with some of those proceeds. Um, but you can connect me one-on-one -on -one and pick my brain, right? I'll give you my unbiased kind of insight into, you know, if you're looking, a lot of the guys that, that connect with me are typically looking to invest in Bitcoin mining. And they're, you know, just looking to ask me like, hey, do you think that this investment is, is viable? And, um, you know, I'm happy to just kind of give my unbiased like, no, you're going to get wrecked or like, yeah, that looks like you got a great, you know, you look like you got a great idea. Like, shit, I'd love to get involved with you, you know? Um, so like, if you're, you know, interested in that, it's, I, I'm, again, I'm pretty cheap on there. I think it's like maybe 95 bucks an hour or something like you can, you can connect with me. Um, I'd love to talk with anybody. So coinbeast.com, find me on there. I'm Adam O. And otherwise, yeah, Denver Bitcoin is typically where, where I, you know, kind of put out information. I'd say, oh, and coming soon. Something that we're going to release from Upstream Data soon is our our um, Ohm Home Home Ohm Mining Kit, right? Our our it's a little a box that you can you can install, you know, at your house, outside your house, or in your garage, under your porch. 
um, really just an all weather box to put some Bitcoin miners in so that you can, one, it'll kill a ton of the sound, right? It's sound dampening. It's got acoustic foam. And two, right, you don't have to worry about like the weather getting to it. And so we're in the midst of finalizing that design and fabrication right now. We're going to have pre-orders coming, coming live soon. So I've got like a hundred people on the freaking pre-order list right now already. So um, we're going to be, nice. we're going to be shipping a whole, t- a whole ton of um, home mining kits to, to guys. But, you know, if, not- if, you got, if you want to get involved in that, keep an eye out. Didn't I see as well, you've got like a little ohm um, node case or something? I, I oh, think yeah, I here. See. Yeah, I'm going here. So this is our hash. This is actually the product we build for the oil field, obviously, on yes. a small scale. Yeah. Right, so this is normally this is normally um, eight feet, right? So it's eight feet wide by this one would be four feet deep. And so like this is our actual product that we build and ship to oil and gas producers. Crypto Cloaks, check them out on Twitter. Crypto Very Cloaks, cool. they, they make this. This is, yeah, this is actually a case for a Bitcoin node. So, and these are working fans on the, on the inside. So these are actually exhaust fans that spin and light up and they, they push air out intake comes in through the grate. So exactly same design as our hash huts, how they work with Bitcoin miners in the oil field. Um, really cool design. Yeah. They, uh, they did a great job. I think they actually used the same CAD file from Steve Barber's, <laughs> like his, right. his actual like design, like he sent them the CAD file and that's what they printed it. So it's like, it's an actual fucking to scale, you know, kind of print of a hash hat. Love those guys. So for any plebs yeah, out stuff. there, let's let's show this again because I think there's definitely some opportunities for the plebs out there in the insurance business that should probably hit you yeah. up and ask your like your non-biased opinion on what's the kind of product that would be a really good thing to build insurance wise for the oil and gas companies that are having trouble getting this insurance because there's there's definitely that's a, a great gap in the market. No, that's a great play. That's a great thing to plug. No, and especially if there's anybody out there who has experience in in oil and gas insurance, right? And sees this opportunity, right? So you already understand what it's like to to insure oil fields, you know, infrastructure, oil field equipment, um, and, and oil field companies. That I mean, talk about differentiating yourself from your competition. If you can come in and insure these guys on their Bitcoin mines, well, you have a great opportunity to sell them on insuring their entire business, right? Like you could literally come and capture a shitload of the market because you've got this competitive advantage. You understand and you're able to insure this highly valuable, lucrative equipment that these oil and gas producers can, that these oil and gas producers want to leverage. So absolutely. Yeah. No, if anybody in oil and gas insurance, but really, yeah, I guess if you're in business insurance in general, there's a massive opportunity um, that's developing in the oil field and it's only getting bigger by the day. So definitely feel free to reach out. I'd love to connect with you. I'm not going to be the best guy to talk to about, you know, maybe what that would look like, but shit, I'll, I'll absolutely help you get in touch with people that, you know, would be better to talk to. And, and I'd love to get you rolling. Cause I'd love to, I'd love to have a company that I can refer, right? I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking to oil and gas producers all day, every day. I'd love to have somebody I can say, Hey, call this guy. They do insurance. They'll, they'll help, you know, insure your Bitcoin mine. We work with them. They're great. Like I, if I had that, it, it would make my job easier. And so, yeah, I mean, the shit, there's no shortage of opportunities out there in the world. It's, it's really our oyster right now. Love it. Well, there you go, plebs. Reach out to uh, Adam if you've got uh, any insurance experience at all. All right, man, let's end it there. It's been a, a great rip. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for taking the time. You're a beast. You, you must have been up since like 3 a.m. this morning. Uh, you, you, yeah, definitely. You, your, your passion is boundless. I'm so, it, it makes me really happy to see like a, a young man like yourself, 29, only 
found exactly what it is that you know you want to be doing in life for the next at least decade, probably the rest of your career. And that's that's great. That's what Bitcoin can do to people. Uh, you know, so many of us have been stuck in fiat careers in the past. Um, so it's it's great to great to see a young man like yourself really find something so early. So uh, congrats. Yeah, super and, uh, exciting. Really? Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate it, Daniel. This is this was great stuff. I've, I've been wanting to rip, like I said, you know, wanted wanted to talk with you for a long time. I think you've got great insights, ask great questions, um, and you brought on great guests. And so, yeah, man, this is this was awesome. Long time coming. Let's do it again sometime. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll catch up. Let's honestly, I, we're gonna have to because you know, with this COVID shit just going on forever, like I almost feel like a, without a year recap, time is gonna get away from us. So it we should really almost is. do that. We should definitely do yeah. it, mate, and I look forward to it. And I hope to meet you in Good real stuff. life very soon. Take care, bro. Yeah, ho yeah, hopefully one day. Cheers. Hey, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with Adam. Adam, thanks for coming on, brother. Like we said in the show, it took us a long time to put this together, but we probably, like I said, it all happened at the right time for the right reason. As we did this, the article did drop that we were referencing. Go and check it out. It's been tweeted out. Adam will tweet it out. You'll be able to find it, no problem. Brilliant piece. It quotes a lot of Bitcoiners in there, including Adam himself and Parker. And you even get a picture in there of Al's lacrosse addressing the plebs and the oil and gas community. He's doing great work himself. He's been on the show. Go check it out Al, at Al's lacrosse. And follow him too if you're not following these guys already. If you're not bullish, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm sure that episode has probably left you feeling as though you need to go and do some work. Just tell a friend about Bitcoin again. It doesn't matter if they've heard it a thousand times. Tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your brother, tell your sister. Forward a podcast episode, an article, write something, sing something, dance something. Doesn't fucking matter. We're in this together. Let's go. And don't forget, the show sponsors have been a great asset to the show. They helped me out a great deal. Coinfloor.co.uk, swanbitcoin.com, relay.ch. You can use forward slash bitten to get yourself a little discount on commission or some free sats. But you've got to stack safe. Use the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. It's Bitcoin only. It's made by an awesome Swiss company, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Check my interview with Douglas Backham. Catch you on the next show, guys.